Hello and welcome to Surveyor Says, the podcast from the National Society of Professional Surveyors. Each week, we bring you fascinating guests that are involved in the profession of surveying. We cover a lot of ground, including table lay talk with Gary Kent, point of order with the NSPS Joint Government Affairs Team, future focus, highlighting current and future leaders of the profession, and everything survey-related in between. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast and hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Surveyor Says. Hello and welcome to another episode of Surveyor Says. Um, actually, this one's going to be a little bit of a change up because this is Table A Talk and the gentleman sitting across the screen from me is Gary Kent, but uh, I am not Kurt Sumner. I'm Tim Birch. I'm sitting in for Kurt this time. And uh, bottom line is, though, February 23rd is right around the corner. And for surveyors that are listening to this that should know what the significance of that date is, um, those are when the new land title survey standards kick into kick into place. And who better to help walk us through those than, than Mr. Kent? And uh, so good Actually, today it's good morning, Mr. Kent, and uh, being on. Hi, Tim. Glad to be on and uh, and uh, join you. As uh, you you don't look like Kurt, but we, we will have to make do, I guess. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I, I, people are getting tired of the old joke. Got the face for radio, so uh, but, uh, so this works out just fine. So. Uh, bottom line is we've got uh, six weeks till we get these things kicked off. Uh, I guess what would what would be the number one thing that people need to understand? What sur- the surveying professional needs to understand going forward with these new things? What would be the number one thing that stands out in your mind of what has changed? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I would say. Um, I'm paging down through my red line, which uh, which is available for everybody listening. If you would like to see the new version and a red line version of the 2016 standards that are have uh, red cross outs, red strikeouts, and red underlines that show the changes since 2016. Those are both available on the NSPS website at nsps.us.com. And uh, up across the top is a resources tab. And if you put your cursor there, you'll have a drop down. And one of those selections there is standards. And if you put your cursor there, one of the selections is ALTA NSPS. And if you click on that, I think there are five or six different choices there, but you'll see the 2021 red line and, uh, and clean versions there. Um, I think one of the one of the biggest changes, and, I, and I'm probably going to push a little bit, Tim, and others. Maybe two or three that I'd like to highlight here. That's good. One of them. So one of them is um, that we have the the committees, which is of course a joint committee. It's a it's a committee of ALTA, which has a bunch of attorneys on it, and that's a committee of NSPS, which has. Uh, a number of surveyors. In fact, we had input. Um, I, I'm not sure how many. I know there are over 300 surveyors on my email list. So we had the uh, potential for input from 300 over 300 surveyors. 
decided that utility locate markings should be treated as evidence of utilities. And, uh, so we have a requirement that started in 2016 to show all evidence of utilities on the on the parcel being surveyed. And, uh, and we decided that um, uh, utility locate markings are evidence of utilities, uh, which means they are also evidence of easements. So in section 5E of the standards, you'll find mention of utility locate markings. Um, we also, in order to alleviate some concern about, well, but I don't know where they came from, uh, we require a note as to the source of those markings and, um, and if they are unknown, uh, a note to that effect. So all we're doing is saying, hey, there were some blue paint marks out there. And you know, uh, I actually have written a, a sample, uh, I don't know, qualifying note about utility locate markings that are, and that, and that I believe is available in the FAQs and on, on, on the same NSPS website in the same location, you can find the 2021 FAQs. And I think I have a sample note in there for that. So that's one major change. I think uh, a second, perhaps even bigger change is, uh, is a quandary that surveyors have been faced, and many surveyors have been faced with a number of times, which is in the process of doing our research or, uh, well, usually doing the research maybe because we have previously surveyed the property or we surveyed the property next door, or we were just researching deeds, we stumble across an easement. And, and that easement is not listed in the title commitment. So the question has always been, well, what do we, now what do we do? And, um, or the, the, another way this happens is that we get the first title commitment and it has an easement and we show it. <laughs> and then a second version of the title commitment comes out and it's, and it's no longer listed there. Mm -hmm. yep. So, I, and, and many surveyors have run into this. And, and my advice has always been, uh, if, you're, if you're faced with a situation where, well, you know, I think, I think I've got this easement, but it's not listed in the title commitment, is to, is to call a title company or email a title company and say, hey, uh, I got this easement and you guys aren't showing it. And, and I say there's one of three things is going to happen. One thing is the, the title company may say, oh, God, thank you. We missed that. Right? That's a possibility. And I have had that happen. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm sure other surveyors have, too. Another one might be the title company would say, uh, yeah, we, we know about that, but that one's been released or, you know, that's been vacated or whatever. In which case I would always say, you know, can you just send me a copy of that document so right. I'll have it and then I won't, I won't run into this situation again. Uh, because, you know, it's not that unusual that we would come across an easement, but it's probably less likely we would stumble across a release. Uh, but the third item, the third possibility is they might say, yeah, we know about that easement, but we're insuring over it. In other words, um, honestly, what's actually happened is that the lender has prevailed upon the title uh, company to pretend like they didn't see that easement. Wow. Yep. And uh, and not list it as an exception. 
Now, why would the title company do that? Well, maybe it's a really old easement and, you know, the company is gone and they can't really figure out who the who the subsequent owner is. Maybe there's no it's a it's a sewer easement and there's no sewer in it. And it's a it's 100 years old. You know, for whatever reason, the, the lender is like, you know, this is going to screw up our deal and and we'd like you to just insure over it meaning pretend like you didn't see it. And if anything happens, the title company is going to have to pay. Right. Well, why would a title company do that? Well, they would do that because a couple of reasons. One, the lenders have a lot of power that they are more than willing to exercise in the marketplace. And in, in essence saying, you know, we want you to insure over this. And if you don't, we'll go down the street to another agency and they probably will. Uh, and the other thing is that, uh, the exposure that the title company has under the lender's policy is a lot less than it is under the owner's policy uh, for, for a variety of reasons that we don't have to go into here. I, I go into it in my seminars, but uh, so the, the title company may decide, well, you know, we'll, for the lender, we will remove this exception. We'll remove this easement. And, and what that means is it hasn't gone away. Right. It's just right. that they're going to pretend like it's not there. And if a claim comes along, they're, they're going to have to pay it. Right. Right. So so the, this is the quandary that we then have. If, if their answer when we say, hey, I found that easement, if their answer is, well, yeah, we know, but we're insuring over it. Where does that leave the surveyor? Because what they're saying is that it, it, in essence, yeah, might actually be an easement, but but we're pretending like it's not there. And, and where does that leave the surveyor? So we had a lengthy conversation about this uh, at the uh, at the joint meeting. And uh, and there is a new item then, and it's under Section 6 uh, C Romanesque 8. And, it, and this is what it says about this issue. If in the process of preparing the survey, the surveyor becomes aware of a recorded easement not otherwise listed in the title evidence provided, the surveyor must advise the insurer prior to delivery of the platter map and unless the insurer provides evidence of a release, and, and we probably should have said vacation or whatever, uh, a, a release of that easement, the surveyor needs to show or otherwise explain it on the face of the platter map with a note that the insurer has been advised. So that's a pretty big change and uh, and it's really to our benefit it gets us out of the conundrum of okay you know now what do we do and um, the lenders are not going to like this but uh, but it's it's in the standards now right and I've if I've learned one thing it's that once we put it in writing in the standards the surveyors will follow that and so uh, so that gets us out of that problem so that's a pretty big uh, a big item there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one. Um, the other major changes, uh, the, the other biggest change is in, uh, well, there's kind of two of them, I suppose. In Table A, Item 6, actually 6A and 6B, these are the zoning items. A lot of surveyors have run into this problem where uh, under the standards starting in, I don't know, 2016, I think, uh, the the client or someone is supposed to provide the surveyor with a zoning letter or a zoning report. 
that has the information you know that that they want us to show on the on the survey but what's happened is for a lot of surveyors the the client or the lender or somebody just dumps the entire ordinance on them or or you know gives them a link to the ordinance or whatever and says you know here here's your zoning information you figure it out okay. right exactly yep been there done that uh, <laughs> yeah and, and and i can assure everyone that is not what we had in mind in 2016 no uh, and so what we've done is we have changed those items so they now read uh, at 6A, if there's current zoning classification setback requirements, height, floor space area restrictions, and parking requirements specific to the surveyed property mm -hmm. are set forth in a zoning report or letter. So what we've done, and, and the same thing in, in 6B, uh, we have said, no, you can't just dump a load of stuff on us. You have to give us the zoning information that is specific to this property. So I think that's an important uh, thing that will relieve surveyors from uh, from some liability. That's good. The, that's good. Uh, the other, perhaps, perhaps the biggest change, Tim, is uh, Table A, Item Eleven, and this is the utilities item. This has been problematic uh, ever since it was instituted, and I, I haven't gone back to look, but we probably. Uh, even before I was involved in the standards or when I first got involved in, in 1988, that's probably when this item came in. We have tweaked it a number of times because uh, all surveyors know hey, utilities are problematic. And, and the, the main issue for us is that when, when people check item 11 off, their expectation is that we are going to very accurately and completely and reliably show all of the underground utilities on the property. Right. Yeah, and, and of course we all know that ain't happening. No, right? we don't have uh, we don't have uh, X-ray vision any more than anybody else does. So we have tweaked this a number of times, trying to kind of mitigate our liability and and help educate people. And it's continued to be a problem. If you everybody remembers in 2016, we uh, eliminated the option to pick uh, observed evidence only mm -hmm. because we because we started requiring observed evidence, as I said a few minutes ago, in Section right. 5E. Uh, well, lenders, you know, people don't read the standards. And I actually talked with an attorney one time about this, and I was frustrated with them. And I said, you know, if you'll just look at the standards section five or whatever you know and he goes i don't want to have to look at the standards i just know if i get you to do this i get what i want well you know that was frustrating to me but it also explained some things right that i i think most most attorneys don't read the standards right right and they get focused on well we want and I, many surveyors have run into this in the last five years we want you to do item 11 but only do observed evidence well, I don't need to do that. You're already getting observed already evidence getting. by virtue of the requirement. Yeah, you're already getting it. So, but they still don't. You know, it's still like, oh, okay, I know, but I still want you to do that. So, mm -hmm. we had a lengthy conversation about, okay, what can we do with item 11 to improve on it? 
and um, and and those who remember what it had said in 2016 was evidence of utilities existing on or serving the property as determined by and we had three bullet points one observed evidence collected pursuant to section 5e4 and we thought that that was clear saying you know we, we already we already had to collect this stuff and then plans requested by the surveyor and markings requested by the surveyor pursuant to an 811 utility locate well this of course was not working and so lengthy discussion about what to do with this and uh and in the end what we decided to do was make a fairly significant change uh, and what we've done is we've gone back to an option of um, two choices. I shouldn't say go back. We you know, we haven't had well, we had the options before. We had the three options in uh, 2011, which we eliminated in 2016. We've gone back to to now two options, and and what the requirement now says. It's been shortened actually. It says evidence of underground utilities existing on or serving the surveyed property in addition, parentheses, in addition to the observed evidence of utilities required pursuant to section 5E4. So we're hoping that putting that right in that sentence, they're gonna see, oh, oh that observed evidence is already required. Uh, and then they have two choices. One is, uh, it's 11A, plans, and this is as determined by uh, a choice, A, plans or reports provided by the client mm -hmm. uh, with a reference as to the sources of information, or B, markings coordinated by the surveyor pursuant to a private utility locate request. Uh, so those are their choices. Now, what you'll notice uh, is that we have eliminated any reference to an 811 utility locate. Um, now the note that we wrote, which follows table A item 11, which I think is a really good note, we do mention 811 locate requests in there, but this is right. a general note that I'll, I'll talk about here in a second. Sure. But, um, but in almost every state, getting an 811 locate for surveys is, uh, is at best a problem. Uh, now, I, I don't know that you guys in Illinois have the same issues, but but in most states, it's a problem. You know, well, what are you doing? Well, we're doing a survey. Well, you need to make a, a, a design locate request. Well, that gives them like three weeks and they still don't have to respond. And, mm -hmm, exactly. You know, every, every, yeah, every surveyor in the country knows this is a problem. So, and, and I'm convinced and the, and the committee is convinced it is not gonna get any better. It's, it's just not gonna get better. So we said, you know what, let's just eliminate uh, 811 locate request as an item in, in table right. A, item 11. Uh, now, if you want, if, if somebody said, uh, hey, you know, all I really want you to do is an 811 locate. Okay, well, we can do that, right? We can do that, um, which I, I'm gonna digress for a second, points out another change that we did um, to table A, and this was a, um, this was a clarification. Uh, during the process of working on the 2021 standards, uh, we came to the realization that most people did not realize that the wording of a table A item is in fact negotiable. 
Right. They understood that, you know, whether a table A item was picked was negotiable and what the fee would be is negotiable. But they didn't realize that the wording is also negotiable. And so we modified the um, introductory sentence to table A, which it, which now says whether any of the 19 items of table A are to be selected, comma, and the exact wording of and fee for any selected item may be negotiated between the surveyor and the client. So we've made it clear the wording of an item can be uh, negotiated. Mm -hmm. So if somebody said, well, I want you to do, just do an 811 locate and show me the points, we can do that. So that would be a modification to item 11 and and basically you would say, well, we, we did item 11, but what that means is we did, you know, we just did a locate request. Or you could you do a locate request as a, as a write-in, you know, a write-in item at the bottom of table A, which is now item 20. But uh, uh, the, the, the main point on table A item 11 is we have eliminated 811 locate requests as, as an option because that's just not a realistic option for almost all surveyors in the United States. It's just right. not. Right, exactly. Not, hel not, not helpful, right? So, uh, and, and along with that, by the way, what I suggest to surveyors is they ought to take that paragraph that follows table A item 11 and put it in their scope uh, of work in their contract. That's what I do. Uh, if I know the client's choosing table A item 11, or if I think they may choose table A item 11, I'll put that note in my contract is because the problem we have is managing people's expectations. As I said, they think they're going to get accurate, complete, and reliable information about underground utilities, and we don't. They're, they're not. It's just not going to happen. And so this note helps manage uh, their expectations. Whether they read it or not is their problem. If they sign the contract, it's there. Exactly. Uh, so that that was a, a major change there. And then um, probably the last major change uh, is that we eliminated the wetlands item, which had been Table A item 18. Uh, that one came in in 2011. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it was one of those... <clears throat> That the committee has now learned. It was a it was a, a suggestion, and everybody on the committees was like, "Oh, that's a pretty good suggestion. Yeah, let's put that in there." Well, what we've learned in the last ten years is just because something sounds like a good idea is is not a good enough reason to put it into Table A. Uh, I don't think you'll see new Table A items until there is a clamoring from either the lending community or the the title industry that we need this new item. I just don't think that's going to, to happen. Because uh, we sat down and said, well, let's, you know, we need to tweak this because people still think they're going to pick this item and I'm going to magically turn into a wetlands biologist and I'm going to show them the wetlands. And, uh, and the suggestion came from ALTA. They said, why, let, why don't we just eliminate it? You know, if somebody wants wetlands information, they can negotiate that as table A item 20, which is a write-in. And, you know, if you're a survey company that has a wetlands biologist, you can offer that as a service and, you know, you can negotiate that. But but to simply have it as a checkoff item, um, it's not there. We've gotten rid of that. So there are now only 19 uh, uh, 
definitive table A items and what used to be the write-in item of 21 is now item 20. 20. Well, and I'm personally, I'm glad that the wetlands is gone. Uh, I had a, I had a, an instance where the client had basically picked everything on the table A that I shot over to them and including uh, a wetlands locate. And if we've got a good relationship with a wetlands consultant. I just asked him to run by this site. Sure enough, one corner, there was a, there was a little area of wetlands. Send the survey off and the client comes back and says, why are you showing wetlands? You're, this is, this is now going to uh, taint the property. And I said, reject <laughs> it. He says, we'll take it off. Uh, so I, I specifically put in, um, but that survey had already been out and been circulated. I re yeah, yeah. I recirculated the plat with his signature on it saying, stating that he was, he was responsible for telling me to take that off, that uh, any prior uh, instances had that on there. It is now, it's now, he is now asked that it be taken off. I mean, bottom line is if, if, if your name's out there with something on it certifying to this, um, whether or not it's a current survey or not, if it's been revised, you're st it's still out there and it still, still felt like I was liable for it. So yeah, it, I was, yeah. I was glad that it was taken off. Cause like you said, it's just, it's something you can negotiate, but, uh, it, it should be, it should be a business decision on some of these negotiations. Yeah. And, and, and as you say, once it's out there, if you remove that from your survey, now it looks like there's not a wetlands there anymore. That that's the problem. Yes. Yeah. I, I know you know, years ago, I ran into a similar problem where uh, was an abandoned uh, uh, industrial site, and there was a fenced-in area out and and the back behind the building, and uh, and we had labeled it as a hazardous waste storage area. And of course, the the buyer and the lender's attorneys about flipped out, and uh, and I said, you know. And and the problem that we had made, we had made a tactical error in that I didn't know if it was a, a hazardous waste storage area, but there was a sign on the gate that that you entered into this area, and the sign said hazardous waste storage area. <laughs> so so um, so what we uh, uh, so our tactical error was we should have said there's a sign that says that. Mm -hmm. Not that it, in fact, is. Wow. Uh, and they wanted, uh, you know, they, of course, wanted that removed. And then we had to figure out how to deal with that. So, uh, uh, so you know, what's been happening, uh, and I think we talked a lot about it this time in the, in the joint committee, is uh, we're really trying to uh, narrow the table A item things to uh, title-related issues. Uh, so, and that's where, you know... Um, uh, monumenting um, off-site easements, right? Mm -hmm. We got exactly. rid of that in 2016. Um, you know, that's not really tied away. You know, surveying the off-site easement, if they want that done, great. But, but you know, number one, having us set monuments on other people's property is probably not a great idea anyway. But uh, so so we looked at the wetlands and uh, and and we talked to the title people and they're like, you know, this isn't, this isn't title. It's not title related, um, and so let's get it out of here. Now, you might say that flood is not title related either, but but it is uh, it is uh, a major issue and with the lenders, and so in a sense, it is it is transactionally related, um, less so with the uh, 
wetlands. But it, it, it you know, it's, it's also not unlike the uh, back when we had the item which we eliminated, I think, in 2016, um, uh, site use as a solid waste dump sump or sanitary landfill. Right. Right. Well, when that went in was in the 90s, before people were um, routinely doing phase one environmentals. Right. right. And, right. and, and now, nowadays, I don't think if there's a lender involved, I don't believe that commercial property changes hands unless there's a phase one environmental. Well, that's their responsibility, right? It's, it's not our responsibility. So that's, uh, so we're, we're really trying to focus on hydro related issues and, and get the other stuff out of there as best we can. Exactly. And that, I guess to your point, I mean, uh, I guess that's something that could be considered if, if, a client is so inclined to want to know what that phase one report and how it applies to the survey, they can negotiate that under item 20 and say, show the results of, you know, locatable results of a phase one study on the survey. That's a negotiable sure. item. So oh, it, yeah, yeah. it doesn't need to be a requirement of one of the original uh, table A items. It can always be negotiated, but, uh, and that, there again, that comes down to the business side of what you're willing to negotiate, what you're willing to show on your survey. Um, that's not title based. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, that's a that's a good point, uh, and and we would encourage surveyors to uh, you know to negotiate things. And number one, it puts it gives you the ability to charge more for extra things, mm -hmm. which we should be doing anyway. But that maybe raises that to a little higher level. Uh, so yeah, a absolutely. Um, that that item is there for a reason, and if you want to negotiate to do whatever, you know, have at it. If um, I was sitting here thinking, Tim, while we were talking, there's one other thing that I, I it's really not major, but but uh, I've learned over the years that when you make changes in things, uh, people are always <laughs> like, oh man, why why did they do that? You know. Uh, and and sometimes we would make a change in the standards, and and people would be would call me. They're like, "So what's up with that?" And I'm like, uh, "Well, nothing. We just you know we just did a little rewording. There's nothing. You know, mm -hmm. we don't have anything magic in our mind." Uh, well, what people are going to see this time is that uh, we had done the the previous versions of the standards all the way back to '62 had done what every other. Uh, entity including legal entities had done which is that the word shall is what we call an imperative right right if you want somebody to have to do something then you use the word shall you shall uh you know do this or that well what's happened is there was a supreme court case a few years back that revolved around the word shall and the U.S. Supreme Court decided that shall, uh, and I'm going to use a, a phrase here, but shall is a false imperative, meaning it doesn't, it's not really a command. It, uh, it, it, and so what happens is as a result of that Supreme Court case, if you want something to be an imperative, if you want uh, a, a definitive requirement that somebody has to do something, then the word to use is must. And so uh, every, every entity, laws, legal documents, everybody's been changing their stuff because as a result of this Supreme Court decision. 
And so we did the same thing. We went through the entire document and found all of the uses of the word shall and assess that. So when we looked at every use of the word shall and said, did we mean must? You know, were, were, we, were we intending the word shall to be a command? And if we were, then we changed it to the word must. Uh, there are a couple places where we left it at shall uh, to kind of imply it's an imperative, but it's also a tacit recognition that we probably can't you right. know, can't make that specific item an imperative. So I, I want to point that out because I, I know that people will look at the red line version and say, oh, they changed all these shalls to must. You know, what's up with that? Right. Well, there's nothing up with that. It's just uh, accepting the Supreme Court decision that uh, um, that an imperative, we want it to be an imperative. So those every change from shall to must is a, merely an indication that that is supposed to be a definitive requirement. Well, and that's I guess that's a good you know a good point, and we can uh, well just to kind of put a cap on on this session. Um, this is a living, breathing document. It is a it is something that's going to be probably forever modified to adapt with the times, adapt with lender requirements and survey standards and various things that uh, while there may seem like there's a lot of red marks on this, it's all for the better in our opinion at this time. And it's, it's, it's about being a work in progress and being to the beneficial to everybody involved in this transaction that needs this plat. So, yeah, I, I, I can see where people would look at it and go, oh, my goodness, you've changed all these to must. But uh, you're ab absolutely right. We've got to we've got to be correct in the way we present these things. Yeah. And, and, and I think your point's very well taken. You know, every time I've been involved with these since 88 and every time we do, I'm like, man, we have nailed it this time. You know, and and and, and I'll, I'll tell you, Tim, I have today uh, almost a full page of suggestions for 2026. Right today, right? We're a month away over. We're six weeks away from a new standards going into effect, right. and I have a page worth of suggestion <laughs> for next time, uh, which is the same thing that happens every time. Uh, so, um, but I, but I think the sur surveyors need to know that uh, both in, in 2021 and in 2016, and probably. Uh, almost everything other than some of the wacky things we've done, like, you know, adding wetlands and stuff. Um, the changes that we have made have virtually exclusively been uh, twofold, either lessens the surveyor's liability mm -hmm. or makes the requirement more clear so the surveyor has a better understanding of what's required. And, uh, and uh, I think that's really important. And none of what's in these changes, I, I believe, is increasing our liability. Uh, the, the title people are really, really good people to work with. They, they have no interest in a set of requirements that puts undue liability on surveyors or that is problematic. So it, it's always been a pleasure working with them. That's good. And, um, and, and, you know, yeah, it, it's going to constantly be a, a work in progress. And, and and by the way, having said that, I've I've told people this and it's also and I've, I've got I, I think the little article that's on the NSPS website 
uh, I am going to have chosen to step down as chair of this committee. I've been doing it now for um, 25 years and um, I'm gonna step down as chair. I, I think we, I suspect we know who may become chair uh, going forward. Uh, who's a, a really good uh, person who has title and survey connections. Uh, and um, I'll still be involved, but I'm I'm gonna step down as chair. I think I've uh, worn out my I don't know I've worn out my welcome, but you know we we need to move on here. <laughs> oh, exactly. Well, as long as you're not uh, going away, you're just stepping away from from that chair responsibilities because obviously uh, the the wealth of knowledge that uh, you've uh, obtained over the years through all of this. Uh, that's good to know. Um, good to still have there as a resource. But uh, uh, well, thank you for the update on this, and uh, we'll we'll have a few more episodes about uh, about the changes and really making sure that you, the surveyor out there, knows what needs to be, happen with these changes and maybe and solidify what we're supposed to be putting on plats and limiting your liability going out for some of this stuff. So. Uh, um, no, we're not letting Mr. Gary get away that, that easily. So, uh, <laughs> we'll do that. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for this episode of table a talk. Uh, my name's, my name's Tim Birch. I appreciate Mr. Gary Kanta being along with me and, uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. You've been listening to the surveyor says podcast brought to you by the national society of professional surveyors. If you have any questions about today's episode or any other topic, please email us at info at nsps.us.com, and we are here to help. Visit our website, nsps.us.com, to learn more about our association, the programs we administer and support, our sustaining members, and information about future episodes of Surveyor Says. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, as well as our podcast host, Podbean. And remember, it's a great day to be a surveyor.